Welcome to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And in today's episode, we are getting inspired by Josh Perry. Josh Perry is a professional BMX athlete who changed both his life and his mindset since receiving the life-changing news that he had four brain tumors. Since learning that information, he has become a holistic coach, founded the Josh Perry Foundation, and continues to be a professional BMX rider. This young man is inspirational. He is one of the kindest, nicest, holistic coach-minded individuals that you're ever going to meet. And today, we're going to be talking about his experience with near-death diet, nutrition, and how you can shift your mindset to become truly unstoppable. This is one you will not want to miss. If you've got excuses, this boy is going to knock him out of the park. Listen up. We're about to get toit as a toy guy. So ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute pleasure today to welcome professional BMXer Josh Perry. Josh, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. The honor is mine. I appreciate you having me out. Oh man, it's a real pleasure. Like I've, uh, I've just been doing my background on you, you know, for the last couple of days to really get familiar with you and your story. And yeah, it's incredible to hear your story. Uh, you know, as a professional athlete, still competitive. Uh, you know, your current situation, you have four brain tumors, is that right? Yes, two uh, residual from 2010 yeah. and then two new ones that popped up on the other side of my brain uh, this February I was diagnosed. Right. Not that it's a competition, okay, we don't have to get all competitive <laughs> with, with uh, tumors and brain injuries. Yeah, I'd rather not people compete against yeah, that. <laughs> no kidding, right? So uh, you're a professional BMX athlete with four brain tumors, still competing at a very high level. Last year you placed 10th in the world. Uh, at the at, at what event was that? So it was tenth overall in the UCI, which is the governing body for cycling in the right. Olympics, okay. with the FIES World Series. So it was a tenth overall. That's brilliant. Um, through the, the the five stops I attended four because I just got out of ACL reconstructive surgery at that time. <laughs> so what attracted me to your story is um, your story is a long one. Like how long have you you've been in BMX for a while, right? Yeah. So I moved to Greenville, North Carolina, from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, so right. up north to the south when I was seventeen, so two thousand seven to pursue BMX as a career. But when did you start? Like when did this, where did this all begin? Um, so from what I can remember, I've just been on a bike, you know, since a little kid yeah. and I really got into going to skate parks on my skateboard and yeah. rollerblades originally when I was like maybe 10 or 11, like 12 around that area. And then an older cousin of mine rode BMX, his friends rode BMX. So when I was 13, I got a BMX bike for Christmas and were you that little bit extra fucking daredevil than everybody else? Like, were you yeah. <laughs> jumping that little bit higher, like putting that ramp just a little bit more in an angle? Yeah, so growing up, my mom always said, like, this is one of her favorite stories, that I would just go down the driveway on my plastic tricycle, and then at the end of the driveway, just yell bail and jump off. I was always jumping off <laughs> yeah. stuff to her to catch me, and so I guess nice. I've always had that in me. Yeah, that's cool. And so at what point did you discover that this passion was more than just, you know, a little bit of a hobby? This is going to be something that you could, because I know for most kids, you know, everyone rides their BMX bike around the neighborhood, you know, jumping, doing tricks, but not everyone reaches the point where they go, you know what, I love this so much, but hang on, you mean I can maybe turn this into a profession where I can make money? Like when did that, when did those worlds collide between this, you know, hobby, the passion and then the professional aspect of it? So I saw it on X Games, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, but I never thought that I would be there. And then you know, fast forward 2009 was my first appearance, but it was when I was in a junior, a sophomore or junior in high school, and I just remember playing basketball and getting yelled at by the coach that I missed a shot, like obvious, and I was like, and I had just, it was like my second year riding, and just the freedom of being creative and doing what you want, as well as means of transportation, and just yeah. freedom in general, um, that's when I was like, man, like this isn't, I don't want to play school sports, I just want to do this, and then entering amateur contests, local contests, and then to national, and then the first um, contest I made money at, I was like, oh, you can make money doing stuff you love to do. Like, and these dudes are on TV, like, you know, and then like made that connection. And then I was like, 
I just want to take a take a risk at it and just send it and just see how it goes and it's just kind of when it started when I was about 14, 15 and just entering the amateur contest and then seeing that there was something to progress with it and to build on. Nice. So I think it's important that we create a strong context because you know a lot of people think a professional BMX rider it's like guys who get paid to ride their BMXs but you guys are actually considered to be athletes you know in today's sport and as a result like from what we're seeing there is actually for most of you that are competing at a high level you guys actually have quite the training regime to be in the physical and mental shape that's required to, in order to compete at the highest level. So give us a little bit of a snapshot of, you know, what's a day in the life or a week in the life of a professional BMX rider when it comes to, you know, apart from doing all the fancy tricks, you know, what other types of training do you do to keep your body and your mind in peak physical condition? So training wise, I train five days a week with a strength and conditioning coach and that's been a game changer this last few years. And, you know, we, we have to be able to prevent injury most importantly, but then to be strong on your bike makes tricks easier. It builds your endurance so you can, you don't fizzle out of the contest and you can do harder tricks at the end of your run. So it's Monday through Friday because I liked, like, we had it three days a week and then do whatever you want in between, but I, was, I like going every day. And then, yeah. so Monday through Friday, I go either in the morning or if we're riding in the morning, I go in the afternoon and I'm, I'm on point with it. And then Sunday is my day to do, take a physical day off. So no emails, no social media for the most part, uh, no <laughs> riding, no working out, but it's just you know, five days a week. I'm at the gym for an hour and a half and then I'm riding for at least two hours. So five times a week in the gym, uh, five times a week on the bike. What about the um, the mental preparation? You know, a lot of a lot of our athletes these days are you know doing everything from you know hone, honing their diets, but also you know engaging in mindfulness activities and meditation. Like, what's your thing when it comes to peak performance? So yeah, you got to have the mind and body in unison. Like you you can't have one without the other. And I've learned that kind of the hard way the last seven years. And being diagnosed with a life threatening disease really turned that around for me. Um, and it, what first came was the nutrition. And so I was like, all right, I, I saw a documentary, Food Matters, and the way that they simply put it just clicked for me. And I was yeah. like, all right, so a lot of things I'm doing, a lot of things I'm doing <laughs> are not very beneficial for me and my health, so let's change that. And then later on, um, 2013, I actually tore my ACL meniscus and I rode for two years on it, being stubborn and scared of the surgery. Um, but then I started learning about fitness and I was like, oh, if I'm stronger, one, I know I'm starting to learn now that it boosts your immune system, but then two, it'll prevent injuries, it'll make riding easier, and it'll just be stronger overall. But then I started learning about the mental part and then learning about the subconscious beliefs. And uh, there's a doctor, Joe Dispenza, who I've been learning a lot. That, that's who I got introduced to, the subconscious beliefs and how we, we form these beliefs over time and how it limits us and it just, you know, we just build on that. And so learning about all these aspects, I was pretty much indirectly learning them as I go through BMX because BMX, we, we fail more times in a day than people are willing to do in a lifetime. And mm. you, you learn to pick yourself up and try again. You're building that mental strength, but you're not even really conscious about it. So then once I learned about the nutrition and the fitness and then the mind was just the, the finishing touch and it's been such a game changer. Like I was saying when I first met you a minute ago, like being able to put myself in an energy that I want to be in and not think about the things I want or the things I want to do in my life, but the emotional response to those things. Mm and then visualizing that for BMX and then visualizing things in general, like that whole combination has just been such a, a way for me to progress on my bike, but also to forget the fact that, not forget, but that I live with brain tumors and that not giving into fear. And that's what my first tattoo is, fear is just a thought, yeah, thoughts like can that. be changed. Yeah. And that's just something I live by now, but the mental part was the last piece, but it was like, I feel like the most important. So it's one thing to be, you know, operating at peak performance as a professional athlete, uh, and I want to explore more of you know how you condition yourself to be able to you know work under intense pressure and stress. 
But it's another thing to be able to you know, compete as a professional athlete in the BMX arena, but also something completely different to be you know, facing mortality on a, on a number of, yeah. you know, number of situations, number of circumstances. And for you, I guess in some cases, it might almost feel like a daily, you know, a daily kind of you know, something that you think about on a regular, regular you know, every single day. When was it you were first diagnosed with your first tumor and, and how did you find out? So it was March of 2010. I had fallen one day while training, um, training on the bike, not in the gym. I was doing what's called a flare whip. So a flare is a backflip and a 180 on what's called a quarter pipe. So right. you do a backflip, but you rotate so that way you land going forwards, right. not backwards. And then you add in the tail whip, which is you're hanging onto the handlebars, and you kick the back end of the bike and around like a 360 motion, yeah. and you use your, your arms to you know, manipulate the back end. So you backflip, you tail whip, you catch it, you 180, and you come in. So I was learning. So basically, this it's just a piece of cake, like just yeah. a low-level move, <laughs> you know, that anyone can do. Exactly. Try everyone at home. Try this out right now. You know, just wear a helmet. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But uh, so I was learning that. Um, I learned the flip whip, so the backflip tail whip first, and I was doing that a bunch, and I got comfortable. So we were using a foam pit. We we stole that from gymnastics. We have a ramp that goes right into a foam pit, and I was learning the flare whip on the quarter pipe into the foam pit. The problem was it was a seven-foot quarter pipe. We didn't have what we call resi, so it's like a padded landing now. Um, we just had the foam pit and then the real, real deal. So I was like very confident. So I went and tried it, and because I went to a six-foot quarter pipe, I overcompensated the rotation, thinking that I needed to, which it's true to an extent. But I rotated so hard that I caught the bike and I over-rotated and I got slammed down on my shoulder and whiplashed my head, got knocked out for a little bit. So I needed an MRI. Backing up a year prior, a whole year of going in multiple times, complaining about headaches and migraines, blurred vision, doubled vision, um, getting nauseous and throwing up from these headaches. They for 12 were, months? Yeah. And they didn't put, it, put you in an MRI? I asked. Yeah. I asked, uh, can I get a CAT scan, an x-ray, an MRI? Like, I, I was ignorant to anything yeah. of this nature. And like, no, no, like, you don't need one. Like, you're, you're a healthy young adult. Holy some shit. people just live with uh, headaches. Here's some Percocets, here's some Vicodin, here's whatever. And I, I can't take those things because, I mean, that's the only time I've ever projectile vomited was from taking them. So they, right. don't, they don't do well. Yeah. So it took, you know, March 2010, it took that crash to really get an image and that's what saved my life. Oh yeah, so here's the results. You know, the injury seems to be okay, but there's something that shouldn't be there. Right. And it's a brain tumor. We don't know if it's benign or cancerous. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so that conversation, when was that day? Like when they said that, you heard those words for the first time? Um, when? Yeah. Oh, that, that was in March. I forget which day. Um, uh, March I want to say, yeah, 2010. It was yeah. like the middle or towards the end of March because my surgery was April 10th. Right. And as the doctor was telling you those words, like what was going through your head? Oh, man. <laughs> I was very ignorant to anything related that way. And when, um, and my mom has dealt, um, she's been free of it now, but she was going through colon and intestinal cancer for wow. a few years back then. And you know, when I heard you have a brain tumor, I, I was like, oh wow, this is pretty severe. And just ignorantly, I was like, oh, life's over. The doctor's like, yeah, you'll, you'll probably never ride again. He, he legit said that to me, the right. first doctor. Right. The one who diagnosed me. And I, I mean, I just turned 21. And I'm just sitting there by myself. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the hope. <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah, you, you're probably never gonna ride again. Yeah. You may never walk again. You may not live, but either way, it needs to get taken out. And I, from there on, I just shut down. And I, I heard words, but I just was in my own mind and just, I was just panicking. I wasn't like freaking out or anything. I was just like in my mind, I was just like scared and I was like, my life's over. I was more fixated on the fact I would never ride again. Yeah. I had just freshly into my professional career, hanging out with my idols like Dave Meir, Ryan Nyquist and living where they lived and training. And I was just like, wow, so that's it. 
and just walked out and just went and sat in my truck. And I remember they tried to stop me, but I just, like I said, it was all just a blur and I was just focused on getting out of that office. Yeah, right. And so you left there with the worst, worst possible frame you could have on the situation, yeah. which is <laughs> you, you're possibly going to die, you're never going to ride again, may not never walk in, you know, be physical again. At what, at what point did you realize there was you know, the potential for a little bit of hope? Um, it, it didn't, that didn't set until after surgery. Before surgery, I get a lot of people reaching out from the BMX world all over the world. You know, you know, we're thinking about you, you're gonna be fine, good luck, you know, all this, like tons of love and support, and my friends and family. And it just, I don't know, I decided, I, indirectly back then, I like made a conscious or you know, unconscious choice to turn that fear and negative energy into motivation to like, no, I'm gonna prove them wrong. You know, backing up a little bit my childhood, first getting to BMX, I had an abusive stepfather that I was always like, using my bike as a, you know, a manipulation to punish me and to right. this and that, you know, not, not believing in me. And I always made a point out of spite to get to where I was then to prove him wrong. Right. And so I was like, same thing. Like people were telling me I'm not gonna be able to do something, like I'm gonna do it. Was this process quite conscious? Like do you remember going through this or was that a gradual buildup of inertia and momentum and small thoughts channeling together to become bigger thoughts and before it became a dominant, you know, drive in your psychology? Yeah, so it was just little things, yeah, yeah. building up, and I, I wasn't really aware of what I was doing. Yeah. And now that I'm learning about it, yeah. like in, in whole like massive depths of like learning about it now, I'm just like, oh wow, that's that's what I was doing back then. I was just taking all that and rewiring my brain to think differently and to use it as motivation rather mm -hmm. than fear. Yeah. And now I've learned to I don't need to do things out of spite anymore. I can do things out of love and out of gratitude and share that rather than being spiteful. But back then that that served me then. It doesn't serve me anymore. But yeah, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to do something and I was going to do it. One of the things I love about your sport is how you guys are pushed to the limits of, you know, what's possible. You know, you push the limits of potential in so many ways. And I love, you know, had the, the element of magic that kind of comes into it where, you know, sometimes you guys are able to pull off these tricks where everyone who's in attendance just goes, how the fuck did you do yeah. that? Like, how was that possible? And in many ways, you know, there's an enormous amount of fear that needs to be overcome in order to get to that place where you can be, you know, hovering in the air and throwing your bike around and flipping yourself around and, you know, essentially at some kind of peril if it doesn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you think that conditioning and that training to be able to constantly be facing fear, in many cases eating shit and then getting up and then going through and doing it over and over again, how much do you think that training actually got you to the point where you are now with the relationship you have with your situation? Oh, I think it 100% laid the foundation for it. Right. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. You know, I started riding BMX seriously, like ramps and tricks when I was 13. Um, I was 21 when I got diagnosed. So it was eight years of learning that failure is a part of life. But mm -hmm. if you want to do something, you're going to have to fail until you figure it out. Some people, you know, they're fortunate enough to learn right away, but some people, it takes those obstacles. So I think that, yeah, BMX, like in action sports, like it, it definitely served 100% of building that foundation to know that there's something you want to do like fear isn't an option like it's it's going to be a part of it you're yeah. human but you know it's just a thought like you can push it aside if you have a, a larger goal than letting fear take over so do you feel like you live a bigger life now like now you know you've experienced mortality you're still experiencing mortality on a daily basis but does that make you want to just be you know a little bit extra careful or does that make you kind of just go you know what not necessarily reckless. I guess there's a spectrum. You know, there's on one spec end of the spectrum you've got completely reckless. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum you've got, you know, reckless. I'm going to die anyway. I might as well fucking you know speed the process up. Yeah, on the other end, you know, I'm going to tiptoe my way through life mm -hmm. safely, hoping to make it to death. 
And then you've got that part in the middle, you know, where I believe, you know, people who have tasted mortality can experience where, you know, they just understand that life is precious, but you only get it once and they just live a little bit of a bigger life. Is that where you're at right now? Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. You know, I, I understand that fear is a part of life and that, you know, I don't want to be this like protective person. Like I'm not going to, like a lot of people are like, oh, like, how do you do that still? I'm like, why, why not? Like, mm. it's what I love to do. You know, it's going to, my, my reality is my reality. It's what I make it so I can live in fear or I can, you know, persevere and maybe not be so reckless, but be calculated and be safe and, you know, take the precautionary steps. But yeah, definitely right in the middle of just, it's my life and I'm going to live it how I want and be safe to an extent, but not be scared. So what has mortality taught you? Like, what, what is your biggest takeaway from mortality, like from this, this situation? That, you know, just be grateful for, a lot of people I find in myself, I used to be ungrateful for things and I want more or I need this and it's like, just be grateful for what you have and to be able to be a conscious being and to think and to feel and to have experiences and just share that. So it's just, that's the biggest thing I've learned is just be grateful and then you can, you can acquire more if you're grateful for what you have now. Is that something you've seen show up? Like, on a, like have you got enough reference to know that this is true? Yeah, like I was saying when I first met you, like the more I put myself in that energy of gratitude and love and um, wanting to help people through my experiences, because my, my main thing is I want people to live a healthy lifestyle and not have to have something catastrophic like I had to go through to teach me. Yeah, hey, you might not want to do that. So yeah, it's definitely been something that I, I want to share and that's come along the way. And, definitely where I'm at. And so what's changed with your diet? Like have you changed, like since you've started to find out about health and nutrition, I know you've become certified as a, um, what, what's your qualification? It's a um, I, don't, I don't really use it often, but yeah, certified holistic health coach. Okay. And it was a year long training program um, online through uh, nutrition school in uh, New York, in Integrative Nutrition, or Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Right. And so as a result of what you learn, learning about nutrition, like have you started to treat your body differently? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so my diet before I was diagnosed was, I don't know how I didn't acquire diabetes. I guess that wasn't in my genetic makeup, but yeah. it's a miracle. But it was just two liter Dr. Pepper pretty much a day because right. it was cheaper than water. Yeah. And I'm, you wow. know, I, I've been on my own since I was 17. I left yeah. home and I'm just trying to make it. And so I was like, all right, it's cheaper than water. And then, you know, all these different pastries, frozen chicken patties and you know, like this processed breads, candies, and, you know, all the fast foods and stuff. And like, that was it. Like my, my vegetable was like a piece of iceberg lettuce on my on frozen uh, chicken patty. Like, <laughs> and you know, so it was like, I've made a lot of changes and you know, the alcohol back then, you know, I got into living that pro lifestyle and like partying and like going to these events across the world and all these events and parties and just like, I was literally drinking every night. I lived in a college town, didn't go to college though. I, I was a professional athlete, like wake up, you know, towards late morning, early afternoon, eat some shitty food, go out and ride all day, go drink and talk to girls and then do it all over again. Right. And then we went to a contest, do it there. And then just not the night before finals. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Ah, uh, wow, it sounds like you're living the life. Yeah, I wish I was living a little differently now, but <laughs> wow, I enjoyed would, it then, so. Do you regret what's happened? Like, do you, would you change anything? No, I mean it's, and like it's. I'm, I am who I am because of it, and I'm. I am where I am because of it. So, it served a purpose then. It was dealing. I was dealing with some kind of pain that that was eliminating, and it was just. A, I don't know. It taught me so much. So if I would change that, it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you like you'll never know, but I couldn't imagine my life would be what it is if I didn't have those experiences along the way to like learn from and to like I said, I'm grateful to be alive. So. 
I did some shitty things back then, so let's not do them now and let's share that with the younger generation so they have someone to kind of like guide them through that so they don't do the same things. And so what do you think the purpose of, the, of your tumor was? So I went through a lot of issues with that, like just like why me, like I'm not a bad person, like this and that, just like all like the, the victim mentality. And um, you know, since I've been sharing my story and I've overcome it to do what I love, I never once would have ever guessed that I would have been an inspiration to anyone. And I've had over the years so many people of all walks of life, all ages, sports, anything, like out of sports, just thank you for sharing that or sharing that Instagram post or that blog or whatever it was because what you shared and your story in general helped me know that, you know, to be grateful for now and that whatever I have coming is like nothing compared to that, which that's apples to oranges, you know, that's just, you can't judge one experience of a person to another, but I never would have thought that. So I'm just super grateful to be able to help inspire people. And my, my biggest thing is like, I want to see people be the change that they want to see mm. and to live the life that they want. And what do you think is the biggest, what do you think is the hardest thing about seeing that? Like, cause for some people, when they reach a point in their life where they see that they're starting to inspire others, it can bring up all sorts of stuff. Like what's been your relationship with observing the effect that you're now having in a different way outside of professional, uh, professional BMX? Um, I think the biggest thing that it allows me to see the flaws in my life and the things I want to change. And I don't know, like I'm always learning. So like it, I don't really get frustrated anymore or like mad at things, but like people pointing things out or I, I like all the things I'm learning, I like, damn it, I get like, like, all right, I need to change that. So just, just by continuing to learn and to share, I just find more things about myself that I do like and I like to embrace them and, you yeah. know, go all in on those. And then the things that I don't like, um, you know, being like learning about self-awareness has been a huge thing. So just sharing and just bouncing ideas off of people and just willing to grow with people, is, that's been a game changer. That's just... So there's been an enormous amount of research on meditation in the brain. Um, you know, I'm an avid meditator, have been for almost tw 20 years now. I'm curious if you've experimented at all with, um, with what you're going through with using either mindfulness or any kind of meditation technique. Yeah, so, you know, both of those are a huge play in my life now. And um, it's been like the last year of actually I always said before, like meditation, like I don't know how to do that. Like the only time I feel like I'm meditating is like on my bike. It's the only time I can block anything out and wow. be a hundred percent focused. Right. Okay. And to a degree, that could be true, you know, to each their own. Yeah. But I've actually practiced this last year, um, you know, my affirmations and meditating and visualizing and visualization. I've been doing that since I started riding because in order to do do that and then be creative with it, you have to visualize what you want to do. But then being conscious about it this last year has been a big thing. And, I, and I'm not going to say I do it every day. You yeah. know, like I go through moments where I'm just like so in tune with what I'm doing and focused that I just like I forget. And then there's times where I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should, you know, close my eyes, go over some affirmations, you know, read, read my affirmations and kind of meditate a little bit. But I find for me that. I like have different forms of meditation and I just I, I can shut my yeah. mind off and be laser focused when I'm in the moment and that's the most important thing I've learned about meditation is just be in the moment be present yeah. and so I, I have different forms and I go through all of them and you know some work that day and some don't I have just you ever ex explored transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation I have not yeah it's coming to me to tell you that yeah yeah like um because obviously there's, for me, I've done two styles of meditation. I've done Vipassana, which is a, like a flow-based meditation, mindful. So it's where you're observing, you know, Vipassana translation from Sanskrit is to see the world as it really is. So mm -hmm. it's about sensation and feeling sensation from top to toe and sweeping backwards and forwards to the point where you start to realize that your body actually isn't solid. Like you start to actually become, have a level of awareness 
not just a concept, but you start to feel your body as nothing more than, you know, vibrating and energy that's yeah. just oscillating. And then your transcendental, it's mantra based. So it's less about, you know, tuning into the becoming full of mind around the body and tuning into the body. And it's more about just repeating a mantra until that mantra becomes lost in your mind, but it's single point focus. Um, but uh, yeah, the one that just seems to be coming through for me, for you, is yeah, you would, I think, because what we've learned from TM is the thickening of the brain and different parts of the brain and the more neurons and more connections that are created as a result of um, the TM, it's it's incredible. And I know it has been used in, in different research with different you know, conditions of the brain. And yeah. I, just, I just feel compelled to tell that to you. Oh, thank you. I love that stuff. What That's, other yeah. alternative forms of treatment have you tried, like in order to, um, you know, sort the situation out? So... 2010 was the surgery. In 2012, an MRI result, I was actually in India doing demos and I got the news that the two areas had grown back. And it was a, they said to be a cause of the uh, complications, the main, the tumor being on a main artery in my optic nerve, they couldn't risk hitting them because I could go into a stroke, be paralyzed, die, all these different things. So they're like, yeah, it's, they're too small. They're about the blueberry, about a size of a blueberry, one in the front, one in the rear of the brain in the location the original one was. But surgery is out of the question. We're going to suggest radiation. And again, I didn't know much about it at the time, and it didn't sound good to me. So I did some research and uh, came across a technology called Gamma Knife. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a form of radiation, but it's not the same. It's like a lesser version of radiation beams that they pinpoint with a computer and now they use MRI technology to kind of laser focus, no pun intended, <laughs> but laser focus <laughs> where the uh, areas that they want to treat. And so I went through with that, it, it all checked out, like the success rates were through the roof and the um, side effects were virtually nothing. I was actually riding my bike a week after treatment, but wow. because of that treatment, the two areas were decreasing in size and they still have been. And so that's pretty much the only form of other treatment I've done besides take uh, control of my nutrition, my exercise, and then learning about you know other spiritual practices. And it's right. funny you were just mentioning the two different meditation yeah. forms because I've felt times where I've been in deep thought, mainly before bed, where I'm still awake and yeah. conscious. But like I have this belief now of like life in general is like we're all part of the same thing. And like learning about like the atoms and quantum physics and everything, the brief knowledge I have on it, but to like learn that we're all connected to everything in the universe and that no one knows whether or not this is true or that's true or whatever, like, but like learning that we're all part of one and that two people can create something that starts out as an atom and grows and this and that, that I've just been like in the state of like, I don't know where I am or what, what I am anymore, but I, like I'm conscious to it. So it's, ah, it's been crazy. Well, we've just had uh, five days in Vancouver where we've brought in some of the top theoretical physicists from around the world uh, into an event where we got them to do their very best to be able to explain how reality meets you know the, mm -hmm. the world that we live in and yeah it certainly bends a few noodles when you start to realize yeah. that reality is quite um, plastic you know it's quite fluid and then it comes from a fluid space and we have the ability to direct its creation through and you know, the way that we perceive things and and and, and our environment and also our genetics as well and I heard in one of your interviews you know and it was almost like you're quoting Bruce Lipton are you familiar with Bruce Lipton um, the name yeah he wrote a book called the biology of belief and he talks about how the, the, our DNA can essentially recode itself based on the perspective of the organism that it's a part of. Yeah. Um, and I, I heard you, ex you talk about it in terms of gene expression. So yeah. what is it that you've learned about uh, you know, our psychology and how we believe and you know, actually how it affects our genes? So is it, is it called epigenetics? Is that the correct term? So um, I was first introduced to that through Dr. David Perlmutter. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of him? No. Neurologist. No. He's all about food for his patients. He deals with a lot of mental disorders and Alzheimer's. He actually got into neurology 
because his father was a neurologist that developed Alzheimer's. Right. But um, so I started learning about his work and his food with a ketogenic diet, and you know, even if you're not going to be ketogenic, but you're going to eat more fat than carbs, so if yeah. you process carbs, you can actually turn on and off specific genes. So people mm. say, "Oh, I was bound to get that disease." Well, that's twofold. Now I'm learning now with the nutrition and the lifestyle aspect, but also the belief and the mental, you know, part of surrounding that you created that mm. and learning about manifestation too and all these things that that's really what I, yeah, I don't know, like gene expression is so crazy and there's so much information about it that it overwhelms you sometimes, but that's why I've just taken, taken to it to like eat well, yeah. live well, but think well. And that's what I was saying, the, the mental part was like the third piece of the puzzle that really did it for me. And, just learning about how that works and putting into practice, I see it now. So what are your strategies? Like, you know, do you have a strategy? Like, do you have a process that you use to, to get your head straight? So where I'm at now is I like to set off an alarm system, as I call it. So when I have these thoughts that are unwanted, undesirable, whether they're negative or whatever you want to call it, just being aware of them and then assessing them. All right. So like, let's say it's a trick, for example. All right, I'm scared. Why am I scared? Am I scared because I, I'm afraid of what may happen because I've seen someone else do it? It's been a past experience or am I just making up something because it's unknown? So what's been the biggest thing for me is assessing those emotions and those fears or anxieties or depression um, and then just do I want to give that power or not? Because I, I have the choice and that's what my tattoo you know, really means to me is we have a choice in what we believe and then if we feel what we don't want or what we do want, that's what's going to happen. And so that outcome is going to be what we thought about. And so that's, that's like my main thing. I was like, eat healthy, live healthy, you know, be active and all that. But mostly, what are my thoughts and mm. how do I assess them and how do I navigate through them? And what's your relationship with failure? Like, it's interesting. It's already come out in the way that you've described it. But when you think about failure, what, what does that mean to you? Um, so I don't know how to answer that. So failure, I've accepted as not failure. It's a learning lesson. So if you did something that you, you quote unquote failed at, it's, did you really or can you learn from it and go? So that's what I've learned through BMX, like learning a trick doesn't happen first try, sometimes mm -hmm. it does. And I've learned tricks first try and then I've lost them. And some of those tricks I still haven't done yet and I'm gonna work on them again, maybe in the future. But failure, I feel like it's just a learning lesson and we can look at things with two different perspectives in life. We can look at things with a victim mentality of, oh, I failed, I'm not gonna try again, I give up. Or like how I am, I'm very analytical, what did I do wrong? And like when I talk to people that are experts in things, I'm like, all right, I'll learn as I go, but just tell me what to do and I'm gonna do it. Like, I wanna figure this out. I'm, I'm, I, I don't like unfinishing things. And so failure is just, it is what it is. You, you make it what it is. And that's kind of how I feel about anything in life. It's all perspective. So you can either learn or you can run from it. And what does success mean to you now? And has, that, has your definition of success changed since 2010. Oh yeah, my defin <laughs> definition of success has changed dramatically. So I was just having this conversation with my younger brother two days ago about success because he's under the understanding that, that I used to be, you know, to be successful you have to be, you have to be wealthy, you have to be rich and famous, like this and that, like you have to have a business, all that. And I, that is what it is. I, I don't believe that that's a success. Like to me, success is being happy with your life in the current moment, but having goals to move forward. So if you have healthy relationships, you have a healthy, if you're healthy in general, if you love what you do every day, you can wake up and be stoked to what you want to do and be stoked to work harder for things that you want to obtain. Like, I think that's success. Being healthy and happy and, you know, being confident. So success used to mean you got to be rich and famous and successful in a business and this and that. But now it's just you got to be happy because if you're not happy, what's the point? You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I've had a number of near-death experiences myself and, 
it's hard to kind of share that with people to change that because obviously, you know, when you question mortality, your perspective around what success really means kind of shifts. How do you think it's best to share that lesson without people having, how do you share the lessons that you've experienced, that you've learned as a result of, you know, four brain tumors, which have really put you in a position of incredible success with the way that you've interpreted the events and what they mean. How do you give those lessons to people without, um, you know, either holding a gun at the head, giving them a brain tumor, a stroke, or, you know, having them you know, lose someone that they, they care about through, you know, realizing their own mortality? Yeah, I was thinking about this today, and I feel like one way I would like to go about it, and I do, is just ask people what their challenges in our life. Like, what, what have they gone through? And, you know, let them know, like, the, the same conversation I had my younger brother the other day. It's like, you've overcome everything in your life to be where you are today, so that's a success. Like, you're afraid of failing, you're afraid of this or that. Like, that's not true because you are where you are right now. Like you've overcome any adversity that's come at you and it might not be the same that I've gone through, or the same that him or her has gone through, but you've got over something. You know, you, you're standing here right now having this conversation, so there's no doubt that you've had to overcome things. And so, I don't know. I guess just asking them things about that, like what have they gone through and then just assessing that and letting them be conscious of it and knowing that there's no value to people's adversities and successes, it's just, perspective, but understanding that you've overcome things to be where you are today, mm. I think that in combination being grateful to be alive is you know, a huge aspect. Being able to assess emotions in life and set off an alarm system and then being grateful and then always striving to achieve more and just not giving up. I think if you cannot give up in life, you're, you're superhuman, you know, like it's so easy today for people to get wrapped up in the noise and then just to like give up on their dreams and like that's not possible for me. but just to know that you can. That's cool, man. And what's next for Josh? So what's next for me? Um, getting are you, you going to move uh, away from BMX? Are you going to keep going down that path? It seems to me like you so, might have a different journey. Yeah, so online? I'm 28 right now. I'll be 29 in November. So okay. I, I consider myself young still. Okay. Um, I, I want to be riding, competing for the next 10 years or so. But my nice. main thing now is sharing what I've gone through to help people. And so what I've begun doing now is I'm starting up a BMX charity event that's raised, uh, it's geared towards raising direct financial patient care. So it's called Brainy BMX Stunt Shows. And we're gonna use BMX education entertainment to share all the things that I've learned in my life to help people, but also raise funds for direct patient funding and be able to help people that were in my shoes. But I see myself as grateful and fortunate to be where I am. And I wanna give back and share things along the way. And most importantly, um, share BMX and nice transform through the BM through the through the work that you do is incredible any, any more competitions coming up that we need to keep an eye out for um, not not this year I decided this year to take a step back and you know work on some other things and mostly nice. my charity and stuff like that yeah. and just sharing more of myself and that's beautiful so maybe next year I'll start competing again and if people want to find out more about Josh Perry where do they find you um, so all my all my social media handles are just at Josh Perry BMX yeah. uh, YouTube Facebook Instagram I'm active on them every day and then joshperrybmx.com and I have a blog, dailybrainstorms.com. Fantastic. And when's the book coming? There's got to be a book. I want to. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I've been taking so many notes. I've written over like 100,000 words on my blog over the last no couple shit. of years. There's a and book there. my, first, uh, my first blog was 10,000 words. It was four parts. Holy crap. And I just was like... Your huh. first blog was a book. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I never thought, I, I never considered myself a reader or writer. And I yeah. was like, I just wrote this out of you know thin air. And so... Yeah, I'd love to write a book. I'm just trying to figure out how that works and how to navigate to it. <laughs> Mate, I, I, I can see a book in your future for sure. I appreciate that. Josh Perry, thank you so much for your time, pal. Yeah, thank you. Great Thanks for the opportunity. You. No, you're welcome.
There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray. 